Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Indiana Runner Podcast. My name is Josh Puccinelli. The following is an interview with D3 Glory Days hosts Stu Newstat and Noah Drotti. Stu is a graduate of Lyons Township High School, west of Chicago, in 2010, and DePaul University in Greencastle, Indiana, in 2014. Noah is a graduate of the International School of Indiana in 2009 and DePaul University in 2013. At DePaul, Noah finished ninth at D3 Cross Nationals in 2011 and 8th in 2012, as well as 14th in the 10K at Outdoor Track Nationals in 2012. Since graduating from DePaul, Stu has spent time as an assistant with DePaul and Lake Forest, as well as time as the interim head coach for Amherst College. He's now working in sales out of Chicago and spending his free time producing content and growing D3 Glory Days. For Noah, since graduating from DePaul, he has raced to Indiana all-time marks of 4th in the 10K in 2807, second in the half marathon in 101.48, and first in the marathon in 209.09. He currently lives and trains in Boulder, Colorado with Roots Running Project. He's also co-host of the D3 Glory Days podcast. During this conversation, we talked their introduction to the sport, their running journey through high school, and then together at DePaul, and then where life has taken them since college with professional running and starting and growing D3 Glory Days. D3 Glory Days is a podcast, website, and more focused on celebrating all things D3 running. To support them, check out their podcast anywhere you consume podcasts and visit their website where you'll find athlete stories, rankings, merch, and more. Noah and Stu are both very down-to-earth, easygoing guys, but also super driven. It was awesome to hear their passion for D3 running and their vision for what their platform can bring to the sport. Thank you all for listening to and supporting this podcast. It's been awesome, an awesome journey talking with the people that make Indiana running great, and I'm excited to continue this journey. As always, I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I did. And without further ado, I give you Stu Newstat and Noah Drotti. Let's do Noah. Welcome to the Indiana Runner Podcast. Hello, thank you for having us. Thanks, Josh. Excited to be on the other side of the mic. Yeah, how's it? How's it feel being interviewed for once? Well, we're not in our own Zoom, so that feels weird. But I, uh, it takes the pressure off of having to ask the question, so I'm looking forward to it. There we go. Love it. Um, well, we usually start off with, with a little tear talk, but before we get into that. Um, how's the new year been for you guys? How's life? Any big updates? How's 2023 treating you? Yeah, it's going well. The biggest update for at least what we're doing, we're going to be announcing indoor nationals. Got to get that plug in right away. So if you are going to watch the D3 track and field national meet, we'll be on NCAA.com. We'll be, we'll be the broadcasters. That's cool. What about yeah, you? Yeah, uh, it's... I've had better beginnings to years. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, well, so I had surgery on my Achilles at the end of January. Oh, wow. And so I've just kind of been recovering from that. So, you know, it, it's actually positive. I'm glad to have had it done. Um, but it's, you know, I've been like on crutches and stuff for a while, but I'm I'm getting mobile again. So things are looking up. Yeah. Was that a long time coming or did something happen in January? Yeah, it was a long time coming. I had a Haglund's deformity on my left side, which is an injury that I think people are becoming more and more aware of just because a lot of runners are having that surgery 
Um, but I've been dealing with it for years. It was just time to finally, you know, address it. Yeah. Should you be able to make a, a full recovery? Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's a surgery that a lot of professional runners have recovered from and gone on to run really well. So it's just kind of a long timeline, but the prognosis is really good. Yeah. Are you getting a little stir crazy? Um, not really. I have a lot of other things that occupy my time. And so I, I do miss running, um, and I do miss training, but I've been going to practice with my team and trying to stay involved and, um, I'll be, I'll be glad to run again, but it actually hasn't been maybe as hard as I expected. That's good. Maybe yeah. a little glimpse of life after running eventually. Maybe if there is life after running, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Cool. Well, this week for Tear Talk, we're going to do best cartoon characters. Um, I can go first and then kick it over to whoever wants to go go next. But my tier three, so these all are cartoon characters that I grew up on. Uh, tier three is Timmy Turner from the Fairly Odd Parents. Just like your, I don't know, I had to, I had to fit in like a mischievous kid, you know, archetype there. Just uh, love watching that that show growing up. Uh, number two is Jerry the Mouse from Tom and Jerry. Uh, yeah. Just a, a classic. Just love him watching him get chased and then get away. It's just like, a, I don't know. And I have a cat now, so maybe there's like a special place in my heart for Jerry. <laughs> uh, the number one is just a classic. I feel like I watched it like my whole childhood and it even like stayed relevant up until like, I feel like early adulthood almost. But SpongeBob SquarePants. But like that's just a, a classic can't go wrong with him as, as number one but those are my three yeah see i grew up without cable so while really? spongebob is dominant for people i literally i could maybe say i've seen four episodes potentially those are the four with, best 30 minutes of your life uh it was pretty funny yeah i feel like i see more like spongebob memes and like clips on social media than i ever have growing up so mine are gonna be like way different probably so did you watch tv like just or was it more movies or? yeah there are there's there, there's, there's television TV. outside of cable <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i also grew up without cable so i like yeah there you have five channels and you know you get to whatever's on there is what you're watching saturday morning cartoons is like where was that so okay. it was completely, it, you know, it's the off-brand, it's the off-brand cartoons that, I, that we're watching. Okay. I'm interested to hear what you guys' three are. Stu, do you want to go next? Yeah, we'll go for number three. It's going to be the TV show Recess. So it was like very much, I was the same age as these cartoons growing up and, you know, really enjoyed just the characters about it. So I guess we'll go that tier three, tier two. Uh, would be, I believe it was cartoons, the Spider-Man. It was always on like Fox 32. Uh, so that was, I always like Spider-Man. And then tier one would be Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the 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 movie. That's solid. That's a solid theory. I was a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle like a bunch of times for Halloween. Different ones? Yeah. Nice. What about you, Noah? Yeah. Uh, also, as a non-cable kid, I don't feel like cartoons were like a big piece of my youth but uh I'll, I'll steal recess like that's that's an all-time classic i'll add arthur the aardvark who nice. is like a, a classic pbs cartoon character um and then i i'm going to sneak an adult an adult um figure in there and, and claim homer simpson because he that's they did one. they did reruns 
on uh, Fox 59 every night at five. And so I could watch that when I got like home from school and practice. And so, yeah, I wasn't watching a lot of kids cartoons, but I watched a lot of Simpsons. There we go. So were you guys like growing up, were you like more playing outside kind of thing than watching shows or what were you guys doing? Oh yeah. This was the nineties. This is when you would go ride your bike, find when the bikes were. And if everyone, if all the bikes were at someone's house, you just hop on over there after school sports, uh, you know, I didn't get a cell phone till high school. And I mean, I had a Game Boy and, and I bought myself like a PS2. But yeah, a lot of time outside. Like a hundred years old. So yeah. <laughs> really gonna date ourselves here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm like, so I was born in 96. So I'm not too much younger than you guys, but it's definitely crazy how much even those like couple of years things have changed with like technology and everything. Yeah, the millennial, uh, we're the millennials here. Yeah, exactly. Cool. We're going to get into your guys' background and running kind of all the way through college and then talk a little bit about what you guys are doing now, especially with the podcast and also with running. So Stu, if you want to start us off, how'd you get your start in running? Um, if you kind of just want to walk us through your story through uh, maybe through high school, just some of the highs and the lows, when did you develop a passion for it? Maybe what was your training like in high school? Uh, anything you want to share about that time? Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of kids will say, you know, they started running in high school and they'll just neglect middle school because it just is so unstructured and didn't mean a whole lot. So if I am honest, I probably started running in middle school, but, you know, it was only for the cross country season and I would hide during practice. There was like this bush that I would just like hide behind and then would jump out when the leaders came by out of that, especially <laughs> when I was in eighth grade to like act like I was good. And so that like was when I got my start. And I remember so you sent this lovely outline. So I got to think back to it. I got excited about running eighth grade. I finished 13th in the conference. And so there was like six or seven schools that fed into the LT, my Lions Township, my high school. And so it's a pretty big conference meet finished 13th. I was like fourth or fifth, eighth grader. And I was like, Oh, cool. Like I could be helpful, uh, in the class. And, you know, the coach took a, took a liking to that. And he brought me, brought me to like the trophy case and all that stuff. And I thought it was pretty cool. So that's how I got like really started running. My parents were big runners. My dad still runs to this day. And so growing up with them, going to local five K's and then kind of getting part of that was, was cool. But yeah, once, once I got into high school, I played tennis growing up as well. So I was trying to figure out what I want to do first tennis or cross country and did cross country, had a blast with it. Went from a time trial of like 14, 24 for two miles and end of the year running 1140, which, wow. you know, still isn't like, isn't flying, but dropping almost three minutes. I was like, oh shit, like this, could, I don't know if you can swear on this podcast. It was like, oh wow, this could, this could be pretty cool. So I got pretty into it and uh, wanted to do indoor track to get in shape for tennis. I was like one of those kids, but I made, ran the freshman indoor conference meet, was on the four by eight, 600 and four by four, which is hilarious to think back on. And I ended up winning the 600 meters in 139, ran 33s for, you know, three laps, just cr super consistent. Mm -hmm. And then I went out, tried out for tennis, 
made it and then quit the next day. So, and I've been running ever since. What, uh, what led you to quit? Did you just know you running was for you? Yeah. And the team, the running team ran by as I was like practicing and like, they were having a blast, like yelling my name and saying all this stuff. Like they didn't want me to quit. And majority of my friends were there. And, but even though I was playing tennis with these kids growing up for a while, like it just didn't, it didn't feel right. So just went back to track the next day. Like literally was on the team for one day and then went back to track. So I quit and then rejoined. Yeah. Did you have any regrets about quitting tennis? No, no. <laughs> Other than no, 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 I don't. I don't, I haven't even like thought about tennis since really today. Do you ever play? Yeah. So in, at DePauw where Noah and I went to school, all you Indiana folk uh, should know it. We had a, we, we were able to do PE classes and I did a PE tennis class and I won the mixed doubles tournament. No big deal as a senior. There we go. So was there like a, like a specific moment from like hiding in a bush here in, in middle school to like really enjoying the sport where you like fell in love with it or is it kind of a, a process and what was it about running that really drew you to it? Yeah, I think there's two parts to it. I think the progress I made my that freshman year of high school was like, wow, you can actually be good at it. I would, I had two friends that would, we'd run out the two miles we were supposed to go, like I do the minimum and then we'd walk back. <laughs> and once they quit, I actually started running and like was getting better at it. So I think the progress was like addicting of sorts, like seeing yourself getting better. And then I made a big jump in the mile that indoor season. I went from a 535 to 510 in like a week, like one week. I was just like, I didn't want to lose this kid. And I was like, I'm going to try. And then literally the once I did that, the coach, Coach Mike Kuharik like started paying attention to me. And like we had a massive program, like similar to Carmel. Like so many kids, if you're not good, like you're getting the English teacher who's there to like get, you know, yeah, aside $15 an hour or whatever it is, like who doesn't run but wants to like help out. Like you get that coach who knows nothing about running. And so once the main coach started talking to me, I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. And then I wanted to be good. I got competitive and then I eventually broke five my outdoor season. And that's like when it all clicked. I was like, all right, this is something I want to do now. So I started buying split shorts, started following pro runners, you know, all that stuff, just like from March to May, like just completely flipped. And then I was like completely hooked on it. That's awesome. Did you have a favorite moment from high school? My favorite accomplishment or maybe just moment in general? Yeah, we, so LT, we were fifth my junior and senior year. I was on the state team junior and senior year, but didn't run until my senior year. And I was our fifth man when we got fifth in state and finished 91st in Illinois. So back then it was like, you know, finishing top 100 was pretty good. Nowadays, it's just like, oh, all right. You know, <laughs> it's just crazy how much better Illinois and just high school running in general has gotten. So that was really cool. And then I... That was probably my proudest moment of being able to do that. And then breaking 10, I ran 9.58. So that was also pretty cool. Yeah. Um, from what you understand, how does Illinois running compare to Indiana? It doesn't compare at all. It's vast, <laughs> It's vastly inferior. <laughs> That's right. Uh, that was the correct answer, by the way. Like, so... 
I haven't, I haven't really followed any of our structure since I was at DePaul. And so that was 2017 when I started coaching there. So I've always thought Indiana was obviously better, you know, Evan Jager, Chris Derrick, just to name a few, but I never really understood why Indiana didn't have a class system. Mm. Like so, that's even though yeah. it's also, then you make the kind of plan and why do you have three state champions? Fair, but I don't know. I, from what I can tell, they seem fairly similar. Like the cultures all seem pretty similar. A lot of similar teams and stuff like that. So uh, I don't know. I think they're both are doing well. Obviously, Illinois is much superior. <laughs> I don't know. What? How would you rank like sports in Illinois? Like who are like for Indiana? Obviously, it's basketball. I mean, football's kind of up there as well. But is there any like really big sport in Illinois that's kind of the dominant one? Or uh, baseball? I don't know. Uh, I'm trying to think of like what what's good. Like swimming, I think is good. I think. I mean, didn't Illinois just send three teams to NXN? So I think running's good. Yeah, true. So I don't really know. Honestly, I, I wish I had a better answer for you. Our 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 team was good at our school was good at baseball, but and running. Like they won a trophy not too long ago. Yeah. I guess it really does depend on the school, the area. Yeah. Factors. Cool. Well, we'll come back to your kind of transition to college and your time in college, but no, I want to get to you. Um, how was your beginning in running, uh, your time in middle school, high school, some of the highlights, anything you want to share with that? Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't start running until high school. Um, in middle school, in the fall, I played football, um, which was its own misery, but for some reason, I couldn't quit. Um and I, I kind of thought I wanted to play football in high school, but I ended up going to the international school, which does not have a football team. I was not good at football. Like I, I also should say that it's not like I wanted to play because I was good. What position um, did you play? I mean, anywhere that they just didn't have somebody. <laughs> like I was just, <laughs> I was just like kind of plugging holes in the roster wherever I could. But I mean, I was horrible. I was tiny. I was just show up to school like all beat to hell. It was, it was just, I don't know why I did it. But um, when I decided to continue at the international school for high school, um, they didn't have a football team. I was looking for something else to do. My dad had been a really good runner. Um, he was actually the 8K record holder at Franklin College until I started college. Um, and so I decided to go out for cross country and did that, but very just kind of for fun. I wasn't taking it seriously at all. We had a really small team and that was kind of my relationship to running was just like social hour. You know, I maybe ran one to three miles a day, probably less than that. Never trained on the weekends or the off seasons. I played basketball in between cross country and track. And so I kind of just plotted along and running until my junior year. And then things kind of switched. We got a coach who knew what he was doing, you know, as opposed to like the gym teacher. Um, and it became more of a focus for me at, at this point. I was also playing in bands and that was kind of my main thing was being in a band. Um, my, my friend and the singer of that band passed away my junior year. And so the band no longer became my number one priority. Like I kind of channeled that energy into running mm. and um, I just started improving really quickly. And, you know, if I look back at 
the moments that kind of, you know, really grabbed me in the sport. It's the, like, I remember when I like broke 18 and ran like 1745 for the first time. And I was like, whoa, that was a really cool feeling, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I, much like Stu talked about, I kind of became addicted to that feeling of progress. And I, I still wasn't doing anything crazy training or mileage wise, you know, it was always in the 30 or 40 miles a week tops probably, but I started learning about training and I started being validated by race results and kind of became the best runner at the international school. And it was really cool to be like the best at something like people knew me as the runner and we were doing really small invites where I could win. And so it was really fun to like, you know, win stuff. And uh, yeah, so I really allowed that to become part of my identity. And my senior year was a continuation of that. And in cross country, I made it to semi-state, which is the farthest I ever made it in the Indiana system. And that was, you know, just a really cool moment for me. And I finally felt like I had found like my thing. See, wouldn't it be great to have gone to like the 1A or 2A state meet? Yeah, I'd be like a multiple time state champion. So I never, (laughs) never even got there. Yeah. (laughs) What exactly is the international school? Well, it's a, it's a school, um, <laughs> but uh, the, I, I guess it's mostly known for like a language immersion program. And so when I started there in fourth grade, I selected Spanish as my, as my, you know, language. And so like 90% of the school day was taught in Spanish. Um, it was basically a total immersion program. And that continues through high school where you can then select another language. In my case, that was French. And so, you know, there's a big emphasis on global cultures, you know, language learning. And uh, I was able to do several like international exchange trips as well. Um, So that's kind of the niche, I guess. Yeah. Do you still use those languages today at all? No, 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 not not unless I've been drinking. Um, But uh, that is actually like one of the like great regrets of my life is that I have, you know, kind of threw away being fluent in three languages. Mm. Um, but, you know, I, I still have moments where like I can get by conversationally, but it's not a big part of my day to day anymore. Yeah. Do you have any desire to like get it back or or travel to those countries to speak it? Um, so my current sponsor, Solomon, they're based in France and um or their head their global headquarters is in france and so i actually like have tried to dust off french a couple times when i'm meeting with with those you know those employees and stuff and i'll make a trip out there this year and so french is a little bit more relevant in my life but you know we'll see we'll see there you go so during your time in high school what i don't know i guess what motivated you was it being the best version of yourself or did you think you could be as good as you ended up being in the future or what what did you envision from the sport uh no to all of the above like i i didn't anticipate (laughs) running after high school like i was pretty sure that would be the end of my career until i ended up choosing to paw and i i wouldn't say i was being the best version of myself i wasn't doing the things that that requires you know i was very much a show up for practice and kind of do my best at practice. But then when practice ended, like the, my life was other things. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but yeah, I was, but I was still improving. And so, and like I said, it became part of my identity, something I was really good at. And, and I liked that. Yeah. Do you have any, I mean, you can't, couldn't really control a lot of this, but do you have any regret about the training you did in high school or man, I wish I tried a little harder or those kind of thoughts ever? No, I have no regrets about that. In fact, I kind of credit the fact that I did not take it very seriously in high school to the longevity longevity I've had in my career. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's great to take things seriously. Like, and I think you can be a dedicated athlete in high school, but in my case, I think kind of my gradual, you know, falling in love with the sport, it took six or seven years, you know, for me to really mm-hmm. fall in love with running. And I think maybe if I had gone a hundred percent in from the very beginning, I might've burned out. That's just Mm -hmm. my personality. And so, yeah, looking back on it, sure. I didn't achieve my physical potential in high school, but um, I think it set me up for a a life of running. Yeah. Uh, If you like went back to your, maybe your freshman yourself and told him that you'd break 210 in the marathon, what, what do you think you would say? Um, he would have no concept of what that meant. <laughs> like, <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> yeah, he. I'm not even sure if he was aware of the existence of marathons <laughs> at that point. Um, but yeah, no, it's a trajectory that I've been really fortunate to have. But, uh, you know, I had never had any concept of getting to this level. Um, it was never on my radar. And I'm not sure I really would have known what it all meant at that time either yeah for sure if you this is kind of another tough question because who who knows but if you didn't end up running at DePaul where do you think you'd be right now that's a good question and that's one that I was actually reflecting on earlier because I read your outline um and it's a very difficult question to answer because everything I know about myself and my entire life, you know, I've kind of arrived at these places because of that decision to run, like to the extent that like I met my wife through running. I live in, I live in the place that I live because I moved here for running. Um, you know, one D3 running podcast and the internet, um, you know, (laughs) I co-host the number one D3 running podcast on the, like everything about my life is in some way tied to the decisions I made to run. And so, Mm you know, imagining me without it, that person is a total stranger. Yeah, no, it totally makes sense. Cool. Well, we will uh, transition to college here in a second, but still I want to get to you and your, your college experience. I um, got to college first. So maybe we should, maybe we should start with me. And love- one thing before we go jump into college, and I'm, I'm assuming you have some high school coaches who listen to the pod and follow mm-hmm. the website. You know, listening to what Noah said, you compare my high school training and I'm not really burnt out on running, just a little bit low motivator now, maybe because of it. But, you know, we were doubling five days a week, having Saturday invites, Sunday long run, Monday workout, Tuesday, easy day, Wednesday workout, Thursday, dual meet, Friday, easy day, and then back to the Saturday invite. High school coaches out there. Yes, you want to win and get your kids to be the best they can be in high school. But just remember, they have a life of running ahead of them. Don't mm. squeeze the towel or the sponge out just yet. Let let leave a little bit of water in there. Let the kids blossom, and you have kids like Noah Girardi later in life. If someone would have asked me to double ever once, I would have quit and never come back. <laughs> like, yeah, try doubling five days a week and yeah. just miserable, incomprehensible. Did you stay healthy? I had like one, two big man, one, two injuries in high school. 
I'm like it, it now I was like pretty not gonna word, I was pretty healthy, got hurt in college. We'll get to that. But like after college, I say like really healthy up until like now. Yeah. But I was just like always tired, you know. But we can talk about Noah's college stuff later. Now, yeah. I guess. What so so this is a high school running podcast. What uh that's kind of a big question, but what advice would you if you were to go back, I guess, and coach a high school team, what what would your maybe training or approach be kind of based off what you were just saying? Yeah, I mean definitely don't try to bring the sponge out and get all the water. Like having coached in college, even then, like my coach Corey Stoffer at DePaul, like he understood the type of kids we had and understood that running is a lifelong thing. And, you know, just the constraints that college can have on college kids. Like we, you know, some kids didn't get pushed as much as they could have been because of what is later in life. So over high school, that's tough. Cause I never really written, um, high school training. So I don't want to like step on anyone's toes here, but just get these kids aerobically strong, have them sprint a couple of times a week and work on thresholds and tempo runs and just like build that aerobic base. Cause you know, if you're, if you're fit and strong, like the speed comes with it and throw some strides in, throw some two hundreds in after that. And like, I don't know, York is in Illinois. We had a college teammate who went to York, made it a season and a half and was just burnt out by it. So build the base, throw some speed in occasionally, like if you want to, yeah, I don't know. There's, I think there's smarter and better ways to get out of kids that you want to win and, and help yourself than, throwing them through the meat grinder and hopefully that they like running after your four years with them, in my opinion. Yeah. I think that's spot on. Um, I have, I have coached high school a little bit. If I, if I, if I can chime in, I did a couple of years at Boulder high and like, to me, the running was always like secondary to every, everything we did. Like being on the cross country team was about learning how to be a good teammate, learning how to commit to something, and enjoying your time at practice and then the actual training was always secondary I mean kids at that age if you can just get them to run five days a week they're going to improve kind of no matter what there's not all you can do is mess it up and so you know we just tried to get them to fall in love with the process and enjoy the camaraderie of running and then you know if they wanted to take it further and get into the nuts and bolts of training that was great but it wasn't the primary objective. Yeah. I love that. Well, cool. So we'll start with Noah. Um, since you made it to college first, what, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so you said that you were leaning towards not running in, in college for most of your high school, your time in high school. Um, how'd you end up deciding to run in college? How'd you find DePaul? What was the transition to DePaul like? So I was not going to run in college until my high school coach, his name is Brian Power. Uh, he's actually a DePaul alum as well. And we had a couple other DePaul alums help out at practice from time to time. And I, I ended up running 1630-ish for 5K my senior year. And that's when they kind of planted the idea of like, you know, there is there is an option to continue running after after high school. And like you have that ability. I had never really explored that, you know, cause I, I just thought you either go division one, then, you know, you're a big deal or you just kind of stop running. And to be honest, like most of the smaller schools were not 
an option for me and my family financially. And so I, I was really going to go to IU and, you know, I wasn't good enough to run at IU. And so that just seemed like a logical end to my college career or high school career, excuse me. I ended up being awarded a Eli Lilly scholarship, which maybe you're familiar with, but um, it basically it basically enabled me to go to any college or university within the state of Indiana for free, um, fully covered. And so that all of a sudden opened up all these schools that weren't an option for me like before that. And so that put schools like DePaul and Earlham and Hanover and Franklin College, like all of a sudden I started applying to those schools. And then I was able to really see what programs had produced and imagine myself like continuing to run for four years. And so, you know, through that process, I ended up finding DePaul. DePaul's program had a lot of history associated with it. I enjoyed talking to the coaches and it was close enough to home that I could get back easily, but not so close that my parents were going to be dropping by all the time. Um, And so I just kind of went there. It was kind of DePaul was actually my last choice. I applied to nine schools, got into all nine. I hand wrote my DePaul application. Like That's my pen- favorite part of it. Yeah, with pencil. <laughs> like I I just, I did it because my coach asked me to, but yeah, just strangely through process of elimination, that's where I ended up. Okay. Did you, so after you decided to go to DePaul, did you feel good about it? Like were you at peace with it? Yeah. Like you mean like before I got there? Yeah. 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 I felt good about it. And, um, you know, that's the first summer I ever ran (laughs) was, was leading into that, you know, that year. And I definitely viewed it as like, okay, well, I was like easily the best guy at my high school and I could win all these meets, but now there's this whole new world where I'm going to go and I'm not going to be the best guy. And I'm going to see like real competition. Like I really felt like I was getting called up to the big leagues kind of. Mm. Um, and that was a really, exciting prospect but I still didn't really know how to train and so I wasn't running enough over the summer but just the fact that I had done anything was uh was exciting yeah so how was the the transition into more training more competition how'd you adjust yeah I think I adjusted to the running portion of college pretty easily um you know coach Staffergan who's still the coach at the pod handled my mileage and progression you know, very sensibly, I wasn't immediately running 80 miles a week, you know, I was running 50. Um, I loved the guys. It's the first time I'd really been on a full team at the international school. We often struggled to get five people for, for a team. And so now there were, you know, 20 guys or whatever. And I just loved learning the culture and figuring out where I fit in and learning about the guys and just realizing how close you can become to other human beings when Mm. you're running with them every day. It's kind of the first time I discovered that. And um, so I loved it. Yeah, I really loved it. I was, I was one of only three freshmen. And so I found myself really bonding more with the upperclassmen, um, which, which was really cool. I really found my place there outside of running. I struggled and the transition to college academically. I, I, I had, high school had kind of come easily to me and I didn't develop great study habits. And that really showed itself my first semester in college and socially outside of running, I kind of had a tough time figuring out where I fit in to pause a very Greek dominated school. And it's, you know, really exciting for a lot of people to figure out which 
fraternity or sorority they're going to. That's not what I ended up doing. And so I did feel like it took a while to find my self, you know, socially at DePaul. Um, And so I struggled my first semester, but it worked out. What, uh, what'd you end up studying? Uh, I was a communications major. <laughs> like okay. I, I declared that my sophomore year for no reason other than I had the most credits already in that particular yeah. area. And so I think you'll hear a similar story out of Stu, but, uh, <laughs> you know, DePaul is a liberal arts school. And so I was taking classes in a lot of different areas. It just so happened that my diploma has communications on it, but wasn't necessarily a passion of mine though. I, though, you know, I do use it now and like the podcast and you know my role as a communicate every day i communicate every day i'm an excellent communicator (laughs) (laughs) um so what was the process of kind of finding your footing outside of running like how'd you uh i don't know find places to to fit in how'd you develop good study habits or did you and like what was that transition like outside of running well in terms of study habits i had a real wake-up call that after my first semester, I got a letter in the mail saying that I had fallen below the threshold necessary to keep my scholarship. And if I didn't get my GPA up over that benchmark by the end of the year, my scholarship could be revoked, which was like, I was like, damn, dude, you're actually messing your life up right now. (laughs) And so I, I put a, I kind of implemented the strategy where I'd go to the library for at least two hours every single day, whether I had work to do or not. Um, And some days, you know, I would just go to the library and I would just mess around on the internet. But most days I would figure out, you know, I just through boredom, I would be compelled to like do my schoolwork. And um, (laughs) and so just like that forced practice kind of led me to to develop better study habits. I was never an amazing student in college, but I was always I always did what it took to get by. Um, socially, it just took time, you know, like Mm I, I gradually met people, um, both through running and otherwise. And I kind of realized that I could be a social person and actually have like probably a broader social reach, not having joined a fraternity. Mm -hmm. Um, so it just, it just took time. It took, it took probably a year before I really settled in. Yeah. So when you got that letter that like your grades weren't as good as they should have been, is that kind of thing motivating to you? Like those kind of wake up call moments or the fear was motivating. Mm. Yeah. Because I, I really did have a good understanding of what a privileged position I was in going to school for free. Mm. And like, I, I understood that very clearly and I understood what a big deal it was for my family not to have to pay for this. <laughs> yeah. You know? And so it seemed like it would be such a stupid thing for me to do to blow it. And uh, so I was motivated by that and I knew I could do it. It's not like, you know, I was very capable of achieving those grades. It wasn't even a very high bar, Um, but it just took, it just kind of, I just needed that like cold water splashed in my face. For sure. Have you ever had any of those moments in running? Oh yeah. Like all the time. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, whether it be like injuries when you're just like, man, this injury was avoidable, you know, if I just would have progressed mileage more sensibly, or if I just would have done those little things that are actually the big things, you know, or, or whether it just be leveling up in competition and seeing how good the level above you is and what it takes to get there. Like I've had those moments 
from high school all the way through to now uh, pretty consistently. But I do pride myself in that I've always been able to like identify what the next level is and like make changes and visualize myself there. And I've been lucky that it's become a reality more often than not. Yeah. Um, so back to, to college, what were some some highlights uh, uh, with your time at DePaul uh, running wise? Yeah, I mean, early on, it was just the uh, the realization that I was on this really cool team and, you know, just figuring out what training actually looked like at that level. Also, you're running in Division three and 8K all year. And so it was this new distance that I'd never tried before. And so it was essentially almost a new sport, you know, learning that distance and getting to travel on buses to, to meet. And we flew to Texas. That was the only plane trip we ever had, but like that was, that was a cool moment. And so early on, it was just learning what a running life looked like. And then, you know, performance wise. um, Yeah. I mean, I had a lot of like really cool performance moments, but making it to nationals my sophomore year was probably the biggest one in my mind. I ended up finishing 80th or something, but just the, that really, broaden my horizons and I saw what it took to get there. Um, and, you know, I finished higher at the national meet subsequently, but just getting there the first time was just a electric opportunity. And I still remember it very clearly. Yeah, absolutely. So when, uh, when does Stu come into the picture? How'd you guys meet? Um, how did he end up at, at DePaul? Was there like a, a connection there? Yeah. So I, as like basically the lone freshman on the DePaul <laughs> team, I was really responsible for the like recruitment of everybody, <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> any, but anytime somebody came, they would like stay with me in my dorm, you know, for overnight visits and stuff. And so, and Stu is like, I remember Stu being like very curious and very communicative. And so we talked a lot before he even came and we kept in touch even after his visit. And we had like a nice time when he came to the pot of visit. And like, I would always, you know, I kind of went out of my way to show him like how fun college could be, you know, to like make a good impression. Um, and yeah, Stu and I kind of hit it off and like, I knew he was good and he was excited. And that was like an energy that I thought the team really needed because after my freshman year, we lost seven seniors or something like that. Like the team was about to radically change. And so I was really motivated to like find the the next crop. And so that, yeah, that was my early, early interactions with Stu. He was like very on it with like staying in touch. Mm-hmm. So Stu, how did you, how'd you end up at DePaul um, of all places? Oh yeah. So my junior year spring break, like I, I'll start off by saying I had like the worst college search probably ever. Like I applied to five schools. All of them were all very different. And, but my mom's, my grandma, who I never met, she wanted to go to DePaul, but you know, super expensive at the time and they couldn't afford it. So they didn't. And so she's like, Hey, do you want to go take a visit to DePaul? And, you know, I was pretty fired up about running at the time. I think I had just broken 10 and was feeling good. And I was like, yeah, let me look at the team. And I was like, oh, I could probably run for them. So we went and visited and I just like absolutely fell in love with the campus. And that was 2009. And the campus is way better now. So, you know, if I liked it then, like I would like it now. And 
yeah, once I found that out that I could like potentially run and like the campus, I got in touch with the coaches and I remember emailing Derek Lawrence, who's now the head coach at Rose Holman, but he was the GA at the time. And he like, didn't get back to me until like July, but I guess it's cause like recruiting whatever. And so he like stayed in touch with me like all throughout my senior year. And then, you know, I think I knew I wanted to run in college and I really liked to paw and I was like just a one track mind of like, I'm just going to go here. Like, this is where I want to run, you know, and what, whatever I can do to get there. Like I wanted to go there. And I just thought like the recruiting process with them was like, so cool. Like Corey would call me at night, stare, call me like your email me. And they came to like my state meet. So it just like felt very personable and like they really wanted me. And I remember set, and I remember finding them on log a run, log a run.com, the OG running website before Strava. And yeah. it's funny. Cause I like, which we still use, which yeah. maybe we can talk about it later. I but... need to get back on it. But, yeah. uh, I remember seeing Noah and he just be, he's Noah D period. And he still is Noah D period. And I just remember like reading his logs and like learning about, you know, what the training was like. And I think there was even like a website or someone had a blog or something. And like, there's all these pictures and stuff. And I was like, dang, like this is a team that I want to be a part of. And yeah, then the overnight visit happened and no one, I got in touch. And the, the worst part is like, I had a bunch of friends in high school who applied and like, they all found out before I did. And so, and they never, none of them even went. And then <laughs> I ended up going. So I think it was also kind of nerve wracking because I knew how expensive it was. And my parents, you know, we, our family, it definitely wasn't the type of school that like we could make happen but we got very fortunate with like scholarships and grants and, you know, some loans and stuff. So I guess other words of wisdom, having coach at DePaul and having lost kids to like Noah who would go to IU and just, you know, go to the Kelly school of business and become some finance guy or woman later on, <laughs> take a look, apply, you, you know, yes, there's no athletic scholarships, but athletic scholar, academic scholarships and grants and stuff go a long way. You'd be surprised. So you said that your college search experience was like maybe the worst ever. Why do you say that? It just was like, it was just dumb because I was fixated on DePaul, but I didn't look at other schools like DePaul. I looked at Marquette, St. Louis, U of I, and Dayton. Huh. No idea why. Like I'm from Illinois. And my parents went, to, my mom went to Illinois. I like was talking with the slew coach, St. Louis, and like they're D1 and I don't know. I don't know why he was talking to me. They must've been like, you know, I ran 1544 for three miles, 958 for two and 431 for the mile. So like, I don't, I did not fit their team, you know, like flat out. So the only place I could run was like D three schools or like really crappy D one, but I'm not going to do that. So I don't really know. I, I guess if I could have done it again, I would have gone into paw, but had I known that this world of D3 existed and there's other schools similar mm -hmm. to it, like I think DePaul 100% was the best fit for me. But now having this experience of like being at Lake Forest College and Amherst College coaching and like being out at other universities and seeing their campuses and learning about their curriculum, like who knows? But I still think 100% DePaul was like the choice for me. But there was a lot of those schools like DePaul and I just didn't realize it and didn't look into them for Did whatever you know reason. Did you know about North Central? I did vaguely, even though we were like, yeah. I So I thought Alcarius, I thought that was like his full like name was like Alcarius. I didn't think it was like Al, 
Carius because everyone said like super quickly. I was like, who's this Alt Carius guy? Uh, <laughs> but Naperville was just like too close for me. Like it, yeah. it was on the same train line as me. And so plus they were like so good at the time. And like one of the things that I really wanted to do was contribute right away because you get that, That's you get that point. taste. Yeah. Yeah, you get that taste of because I was like, you know, a varsity guy at LT. We got fifth in the state. I thought I was like hot shit because of it, you know. And so I didn't want to just like go back to where I was my freshman. Even I was like a contributor as like on the sophomore team. Like I didn't want to like not be a contributor. So I wanted to make sure like I could run for school right away. I was willing to work hard, but I wanted to like be the guy, not like the guy, like fifth, six, seven, you know, yeah. important, but not like relying a guy. on that. You wanted yeah. to be a, a guy. guy. Yeah. <laughs> supporting guy, you know, supporting role. There we go. So two part question, either of you can take it, but what do you now working with a lot of D3 athletes, what do you see as the major, I guess, like barrier or like apprehension to going D3 and then what kind of runner like succeeds at the D3 level. Yeah, I think from a recruiting standpoint, barriers is obviously like this, the idea that it's super expensive because you look on the price tag on the website and having been at three different schools with three different financial aid packages and three ways of supporting aid, no one pays the sticker price. Not even like the super rich families pay the sticker price because even those kids still get some academic money. So like even then you're getting something else. But you know, there the aid is there. You have to figure it out and apply and not be scared of the sticker price because they're gonna get you with some merit money, they're gonna get you with some grants. If you find some schools like Amherst who are need blind, like they will, you know, make sure that you get the fairest package possible. And there's also colleges out there like Amherst who don't give out loans and they put it all grants. So if you, you know, there's plenty of situations out there where wherever your family fits financially, there's a school in the division three world that can help you that can make it work and not put you, you know, thousands and thousands in debt. I think those are some scammy schools that do that, like University of Phoenix or stuff like that. But uh, there's, I think that's the biggest barrier is just the price tag you see on the website. But I, I guarantee you, and you can come back and say I'm wrong, which I'm fine, but I guarantee you, you apply to a handful of D3 schools, you, no matter where you fall financially, because that's a lot of times where, where things will fall for you. And academically, I mean, the better student you are, the more money you're going to get. But I guarantee you, you won't pay the sticker price. So take a, take. So if that D3 coach is texting you or emailing you, reply to them. Hear, hear them out because the opportunity is there. Uh, I think the stigma that Division Three gets that like it's, you know, the the JV of the divisions. Like go take a look at the at TFRS right now, TFRRS.com. Go to D3. It takes 1418 in the 5K indoors right now to get in. 407 in the mile to get in 8 12 in the 3k and that's just for the guys for the women it's like 456 948 for the 3k and like 17 10 for the 5k so if you're like no it's d1 or bust <laughs> okay you gotta go run 354 now to get in the mile like mm -hmm. 
it's getting harder across the board. So I don't know why you're putting your nose up at Z3. But also it's like, you can, do you want, there's something to be said for being a big fish in a small pond too. It's like, you can go to, you could maybe this guy who is, you know, on the outside of D1, he gets there and struggling to make varsity will never be at a national meet, whatever. But that same athlete could, could have gone to a D3 school where he can contribute to her team, maybe make a national meet and be competitive. And so like, for me, that was a big deal. Like I would not have been competitive with my times at the D1 level, but in D3, I got to feel like a superstar and that just made me love running more and contributed to my longevity in the sport. And so I, I think that that's something to be said for D3 as well. It's like, yeah, is it less competitive? Of course it's less competitive. It's a different, it's a lower division, but that doesn't mean it's not competitive. Mm. Yeah. I mean, the top, the top end's pretty good right now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and even if you're in the bottom end, it's going to be pretty hard for you too. So to Noah's point there. Yeah. What would you guys say about the second question? Like what, what kind of athlete really succeeds at the D3 level? I mean, that, that's, that's a, it's just like any athlete, you know, you got to be well-disciplined. You got to make sure you're, you're getting the job done in the classroom. You know, I think that the, at the end, all be all it's the kids that want to be there that do the best. You know, I've seen a lot of kids from my coaching dates who like either didn't want to be in the team, didn't want to be in the school or didn't want to be running. And they just suffered from it. Like there's, you know, no one's forcing you like, yeah, you can sign like that fun little agreement, but like, there's literally nothing holding to the school besides your, your payment. So make sure you go to a school that even if you're hurt at, we say this all the time in recruiting, even if you're hurt, you enjoy being at the school that you're going to. And so if you can check those two boxes off, like you want to be there and you can be there with, if you're hurt, then like you're going to be successful. Mm, that's good. Uh, so going back to college, what was your uh, your time in college like? How was the transition or some high points, low points? Kind of yeah, you know, it was an interesting transition because Corey definitely want, made an emphasis on recovery. So like I basically just stopped doubling and slept more. And then I want to say it was like the conference meet that I went through three miles of my three mile PR. <laughs> Whoa. So like taking away the doubles and sleeping more, like I automatically like got better and without doing really anything differently. So running wise transition was pretty good. And like socially, you know, we had a, you know, due to Noah's credit, like we had a pretty good freshman class. Like I went in with the, I roomed with a guy who was at York. So I knew him already. He was like a legend actually. And well, like a semi-legend and, you know, had some friends other there. So we did like a really fun time my freshman year and, uh, yeah. So I think, you know, school was school at, you know, you took some turns you got to figure some stuff out and, you know, eventually I did, but yeah, it's, college was definitely everything I wanted it to be. I think it would, I got sucked into like the Greek atmosphere. If I look, look back at like who I was then and who I am now, like I made some really good friends going Greek, but I think it really affected the way in which my running experience was. I still, I'm, somewhat regretful of my running experience just from some outside factors in terms of like I had like my sophomore year I had I was anemic and then I got mono and so I basically had like a year of just energy deficiency which really affected me and like felt like I had to kind of start fresh going into junior year and then junior year I track I had a pretty bad IT band injury that knocked me out the entire season so I always felt like I was kind of after I got momentum I had to come back down which stunk and you know we had Noah who finished ninth and then eighth my sophomore year and junior year, but we just couldn't do something that, together as a team, which 
stings now when you think of it, when you're a post-collegiate runner or like running post-collegiately or just still going at it. Like you go to the start line and you're just, you're by yourself. Like no one, no one really cares what you're doing right there on the start line. Like you'll, you know, can post out on social media and tell your friends, but like, yeah, you still don't get the same feeling you get when like you had that college on your chest. And so that's one thing I look back at as like, I wish we took advantage of who we had because when you have a guy who's, you know, winning the region, you only need four scores. And we always were like one guy short. It felt like, or especially my, especially my sophomore year, no, my freshman year. Right. That was the year where we had, like, we just sucked at regionals in yeah. My freshman year, like that was the team. Like we had a really good team. My roommate was running well and he just busted his shin on a hurdle doing hurdle drills. I still think he did it on purpose, uh, (laughs) to not run. And then, yeah, unfortunately it didn't go our way, but yeah, college was, I think that's one of the reasons I still wanted to run more after college is because of the way in which I viewed my running there. Like I had this idea of how I wanted running to go. And then the reality was like pretty different. Yeah. So what do you think you would change going back? Yeah. I mean, it's tough because like a lot of my good friends were in the Greek house I was in. And so like, you, you'd want to say that for running, but like, that's kind of the reason why I also went to a division three school was to experience everything I could have experienced. So like maybe not going Greek, but then again, it's like, then I like, do I still, if I still have these friends who I'm with today, you know, or my the relationships as strong as they were, could have been, you know, I, so some of the stuff that like happens there, it's not like of my doing, it's just like being in that environment isn't great. Like I can control the best of what I can control, but like, it's hard when like the food's not great. You're not sleeping a lot because it's always loud and stuff like that. So I don't know. I, I got better after college. I'm curious, like, could I have done that in college when like it mattered more, you know? Yeah. So you mentioned that like you feel a little burnt out on running now. Like how much do you attribute that to your intense high school training? Maybe some regret from college. Like, I don't know. How's your relationship with running now? Yeah, it's definitely an interesting one. No one and I had a conversation about it because we both just had a rough 2022. And running's always been like a really important part of my life, kind of like what Noah said. Like I have been the runner to my friends since I can remember. And we're getting to the point now where it you're just losing a little bit of steam. And it's probably because of not doing the little things have now built up into bigger injuries and then the me just wanting to go for runs every day isn't as easy as it once was. And so it's tough to not feel great doing the thing you love most because running when it's going well and feels good, even if you're not training for them, it's just really enjoyable. And when you're hurting every day and it's like, this sucks. Mm-hmm. Why am I and then, then like the, 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 why creeps in? It's like, why am I doing this? I don't have to do this. Like, I don't need to do this right now. Like I had some success like personal success, you know, I think that's one thing that's great about running. It's like, it's all relative, you know? So like your success is different than my success, which is different than Noah's success, which I think is, you know, keeps everyone motivated. And so when you feel like you've accomplished stuff that you're happy with, you start to settle, especially when you don't feel great. And so trying to break through that barrier now of, I still want to see what I can accomplish but I also can't get out the door. (laughs) So it's like, it's the, it's just tough trying to break through that. And, you know, I try to some 
text I've used now, it's like, you just can't beat yourself up when you're not motivated. Like the days I'm not motivated, my goal is like, all right, just get out the door, run your 10 minute loop. And like, you're happy that you got the door. Like you don't beat yourself Mm -hmm. up then that you didn't run. So is 10 minutes a great run? No, but it's better than not running at all. So those are the days now that I like do. And then if I am feeling good is when I capitalize on it. Like I will do out and backs now where I'll just run as far as I can from my house. So that way, if I have to turn back, cause I, I lost motivation or I don't want to run anymore. I still at least get double digits for my long run. Cause I have to run the marathon in April. So like I'm tricking myself into running further by doing that. And then if I feel good, you know, do my main loop and boom, all of a sudden I ran 18 miles and like, I'm pretty happy on that day. And it's also just like meeting yourself where you're at right now. So mm. I can't compare it to what I once was. And if you're coming back from an injury or you're coming back from lack of motivation, like just meet yourself where, with where you're at, because that is a lot better and will do a lot more for you than comparing yourself to once where you once were. So you said like growing up and maybe even to today, like a lot of your friends view you as the runner. How would you say you view yourself now? And maybe with running a little bit less of your life now, like how has it been kind of diversifying your identity, if you will? I mean, haven't really diversified my identity at all. Still, <laughs> still pretty much just like on this running thing, <laughs> which yeah. I wish I, you know, maybe I don't even know how to like, how do you get hobbies in your thirties? Like, what do you, what do you do? Um, Yes. People still view me as a runner. I still view myself as a runner at the running podcast. It's just, it's weird. You feel like a shell of yourself sometimes when like you're not doing 60 miles a week, 70 miles a week, you know, like you don't feel like you're who you once were. So it's mm-hmm. grappling with like, yes, it's still in there. Cause I'll do some workouts and it's like, Oh, I can still do it. Mm-hmm. But it's like, I know the work that has to get put in. And if I can just get to that point where I can do that work, then we'll be back. But I still, I still like running. I still am motivated by running. It just is more fleeting these days. Mm, for sure. So we, we touched on uh, post-college a little bit, but definitely want to dive into a little bit more. Uh, but Noah, we'll get, get back to you. Um, how was the, I guess, when did running after college become an option? And how was that transition to pro running and finding sponsors, things like that? Oh no. Oh, he's frozen. Well, we can, if he, as he figures things out, we can keep rolling with you still. Um, where is, uh, where's life taking you since graduating? Yeah. So I've bounced around a bit in terms of coaching. I think going to a liberal arts school is, is great, but also hard because like, you don't leave with like an accounting degree or, you know, something that's like, I'm going to go be this. So I never really knew what I wanted to be when I grew up, still don't honestly. And so I knew I wanted to get into coaching and luckily had a, uh, a really good opportunity to go to Lake Forest college, which a mutual connection, Megan Daw knew the, the, the head coach there. And so I got my foot in the door there and kind of explored what coaching could do for me. And so I went from Lake Forest back to DePaul and then eventually got to Amherst college out in Massachusetts as an interim head coach. And yeah, it, coaching was really cool, but then, you know, COVID hit and they wanted me to stay, they wanted me to come back to campus that fall 2020. And my whole family's in Chicago and I, 
you know, you didn't really, we didn't really, you still didn't really know what COVID was or what it was going to be in 2020 at that point. And I didn't really want to be in rural Massachusetts by myself during it, especially mm, like with yeah. like, they didn't have kids on campus. So it was like, why do I have to go back to campus if the kids aren't even there? Like my job is around the kids. I can recruit from anywhere. And, but I get it. They wanted me to stay remote. So I, you know, jump back into the corporate world, working for a tech company now, uh, you know, had some success, personal success in my own running kind of like that. I call it like my second college career of like four years after college where I got pretty motivated with running and finally had the opportunity to like train like Noah did, you know, like I didn't really have much going on. I just was coaching at DePaul and was training really hard and ran a pretty good half marathon for myself. So yeah, that's kind of where running took me and PR from college. So that was, that was cool. That kept me, that kept me going after college. That's cool. Um, where do you envision your career going from here? Do you want to get back into coaching or are you kind of staying on the corporate side of things? Yeah, I think, you know, it'd be cool to get back into coaching eventually, but I think as you get older, you realize the time constraints coaching has and the work-life balance that it doesn't bring, you know, mm-hmm. like I was working seven days a week for the most part, because you have meets on the weekends and then you're recruiting on Sundays. So while I think high school coaches have it way harder because they're teaching during the day and then they got a coach like that's crazy but yeah i'm getting married in june and i think coaching would just it'd just be hard to handle everything that's happening with coaching and like being committed to like everything so i'll probably stay corporate for now i have i coach on the side of some athletes and i think d3 glory days the podcast and that keeps me within you know the the running coaching community and so I'm pretty content with turning off the computer at five o'clock, even though I miss some of the aspects of coaching. I don't miss the, the, um, how much time you have to put in. Yeah, for sure. Um, that's a good transition. How did, uh, how did D3 glory days come about? Um, and what are, I guess, how's it been? What have you learned from it? What are kind of the, the goals for the future? Yeah. So the way it happened was I, I was toying with this idea for a while of like, you know, I wish there was more info on D3 runners. Like, why was this person like, why aren't they running well now? They just won a national title type of situation. So, and there's, you know, log run again, you know, you read about Dan Chang, who's an Allegheny guy. And like, he just had some crazy stories from college. Just like, I wish there was more info about him and Noah's story. For example, like this was like right on the time where Noah was like starting to blow up on social media. Um, and and he was running well. And I was like, it'd be cool to like tell your story. And I think the idea was in my head from like 2017, 2018, but it really didn't get going until 2019. And I'm writing this email to Noah. I'm like, hey, do you want to be my first guest? Oh, by the way, what about co-hosting it? Would you want to do this with me? And then like from there, it like started that way. It was, and it's kind of been that way ever since. Like it's just been flying off the seat of our pants type of situation. Yeah. What uh what are some maybe some big things you've learned? through the through the episodes i think i've just come to appreciate that every person has a a story and we've done over 100 interviews now and you know some of them you go in and you know that this person has an amazing story and that's kind of what you're there to talk about but sometimes you start talking to somebody without really knowing a whole lot about them other than race results or something like that and 
you know, there've been times in interviews where early on, I'm just like, man, I'm not sure this is going well, or like, we haven't really found something interesting, but over just the course of the conversation, you end up, you know, just hearing like this awesome story that you hadn't expected. And so I don't think we've ever really done a boring interview because some, some, somebody always has something unique to share. And so I've learned to always, to, to just understand that every person has a story, even if you don't, it's not readily apparent to you. Mm. Um, so that, that's been a huge takeaway for me. And just like the kind of the common struggles that everybody has in running has been, has been really eye-opening as well. So yeah, both figuring out that everyone is very unique, but we're also like very similar. Definitely. So you guys will be episode 25 for me. Um, if you go back, I guess, and talk to your, either your episode one selves or your episode 25 selves, like, what would you say to them? I think we had to learn and Stu can either conform or confirm or deny, but we, I think we just had to learn to be a lot more casual about the way we spoke to people. We, we would go into every, and not, this isn't a bad thing, but for us, I don't think it was great. We'd go into every episode with kind of a preconceived notion of where the conversation should go. And we did write out every question we had and that, and kind of regardless of how the conversation was going, we were committed to just like reading the questions off the list. And I think eventually we learned that one, it doesn't, didn't sound supernatural for us to do it that way. And two, we were closing the doors on a lot of conversations by just not asking follow-ups. And so we'd, we'd just be like, I was college. And somebody would be like, good, except for this one thing that happened. And then we would just be like, okay, and then what'd you do after college? You know, <laughs> yeah. just like, and so we, we totally ignored like, you know, the cues that, that we were getting. And so for me, at least that was big to know that we could just rely on our instincts and our own personalities and that we would get, we would get better, you know, better conversations that way. What do you think, Stu? Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think it's helpful to like have an outline, but like when we were going verbatim, like we just missed so much stuff that like you listen back to it. Cause I would edit it, you know, I'd edit all the episodes and like take out stuff and like, dang, why didn't we ask that? Like it was right there for us. And so like, I like right now back, like, Hey, let's try to like do more follow-ups. And then we also had a structure where we would take someone through like their entire D3 career and then get to the most relevant stuff. And now it's like, you know, if a kid or a grad run, ran, you know, for example, um, uh, Jared Ottman, he just ran like two sixteen, And instead of like taking us through like your D3 days, like we went right into the the marathon, like take us through, mm -hmm. like, what was the building trade? What was the building? And then, and then like we laid it back. So I think, you know, we've changed the structure, but it's, it's came naturally just through like listening back to the conversations and, you know, our whole shtick was taken, you know, take us through your D3 time. And now it's like, I don't know. I know. I think it's like almost less and less each episode of like their time in D3. And now it's more of like, take us through like who you are as a person, as a runner present day. And like, Oh yeah, you also went to a D3 college. Like, what was that like? You know, instead of like starting off, like you went to a D3 college, tell us what it's like. Oh, by the way, you did something really cool. And so we're trying to captivate the audience, like maybe a little bit quicker with what they've done present day and then tie it to their D3 days. And um, yeah, we've like, it's funny. We've, we've been able to adapt on the fly 
pretty well, which I think has been helpful. For like, sure. I think early on, and maybe you're still, I mean, 25 episodes is still like fairly young, I'd say like, but I, you know, if, sometimes if we didn't have a question written down, like we didn't know what to ask, but now it's like, we don't have anything written down and like, we can get through an hour podcast just fine. We yeah. also key off each other fairly well too. So it's like, whenever I'm stuck, I kind of like give Noah the eyes and then he like chimes <laughs> in and vice versa. That's huge. I think for me early on, like, obviously I'm still like fairly structured with my approach to it, but like if someone, like definitely if someone would mention something like cool, just offhand, I wouldn't pursue it really. But also if they mentioned something like further into the outline, I like wouldn't go there, you know, like if we were on the high school section and they brought up something that they did like recently, I just like, like wouldn't address it. Um, so I definitely relate on the, I don't know, being too structured with things. But yeah, you just mostly... don't want to like limit yourself, you know, and like see where the conversation goes. Cause I think it could take turns that you wouldn't have expected. Yeah, no, definitely. I feel like, I don't know. I'm usually my own like biggest critic as well. And it's yeah. Hard to listen back and see those like softballs that were, you know, tossed to you that could have been home runs. But I think, yeah, for me, it's just been like, this kind of thing doesn't necessarily come super, super naturally to me. So just not being too hard on myself and like growing episode to episode. Uh, and then just like being genuinely curious about people's lives and trying to enjoy the conversation and the journey it takes. Yeah. And I think you're like you're doing a great, you're doing a great job. <laughs> appreciate it. Well, like for you, like if you like it structured, like don't listen to us and like go unstructured, you know, like it just benefited us in the way that we like to ask our questions that like we found it to be more, easier, easier for us to go that way. But like, if you are like, Ooh, I like this, like, don't listen to us, you know, do it, do what yeah. works for you. I have, I have found one benefit to like providing a pretty detailed outline is I've had a lot of people say like, Oh, I hadn't thought about that in forever. Cause you just don't like, yeah, you don't think about high school or maybe college as much like day to day. So like, you don't even know what, you know, what happened really. Yeah. We'll do that for like our, maybe our, like our, our alumni, who aren't like in the present day, you know, just to help mm -hmm. them jog their memory. Yeah. And, and maybe you want to edit this part out. Cause this is just like in the weeds of podcasting. But I, I also think like, to some extent you have to like train your guests. Be, and so like, we've had guests who you, you'll ask like one pointed question about a specific time in their college or running career. And they're almost afraid that you won't get to everything. And so they'll just run you through 10 years of running. Mm -hmm. And so, because they think you haven't done your research and like, you're going to miss out on these things that they find interesting. And so sometimes I think the outline is beneficial because like you can look at it and be like, okay, this guy knows who we are and he's done his research. And so we don't have to be like afraid that we have to like show him what's important, you mm -hmm. know? And uh, that's something we've experienced is just like, you have to like kind of settle guests and just be like, it's okay. We know what we're talking about. Like we're going to get to this stuff. You know? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Sure. But anyway, that's kind of in the weeds, but something we've learned. Yeah. And it's like hard to know, especially with a more like accomplished guest. it's hard to know if they want to talk about like the obvious stuff, like the big accomplishments or they would appreciate doing, going on an off the beaten path, I guess it's, it's also tough like for both of us, like we don't really know our guests when they come on. So you don't know their personalities. You don't know what kind of things they want to talk about. 
So you really like, I don't know, like meeting them like live on an episode. It's, it's fun. It's interesting. Yeah, that's the fun part about it. And that's what makes it interesting. Yeah. And I think the more you go, like, and the more your podcast gets recognized, like, the like, no one would catch me on this. Like, I would be like, hey, have you heard of D3 Glory Days? Like, early on. And then we just, like, started assuming they have. And, like, hey, welcome in. Like, we, this is how we do things. Like, I would do, hey, have you heard of us? And no one like, stop. <laughs> don't do that anymore and I, because I, it's, it's we never liked the answer because <laughs> they never yeah, yeah. <laughs> but now it's like people are like oh sick i'm on d3 glory day so like that's cool to kind of see that progression yeah definitely what uh how was the connection to sidious mag like how did that come about yeah so that was i mean noah's been on the pod on chris's podcast once or twice yeah, and, several times, yeah. And I'm just like just a general fan of it. And once we started going, like I realized I had like a podcast network and I've Noah has been really good of I'm always like eager to do like three things at once. And Noah's like, let's take it one step at a time. And I I think I wanted to join like early in on the podcast network, like mm-hmm. before we even had like episodes. And Noah's like, let's just like build this up first. And I was like, you're right, you're right. And then I think we joined like the perfect time was it like 2021 when we joined 2021 i don't that sounds right yeah something like that and like it was like just as like we were getting a little bit bigger we were starting to get a little bit notoriety and like yeah we just like honestly noah just like hey chris like we had this cool up d3 podcast like do you want to expand into the d3 realm like we could like be that arm for you and so it really was just like an ask and he's like yeah sounds good nice yeah, I can't believe he hasn't reached out. I mean, is there a bigger market than Indiana high school distance running? <laughs> I mean, we thought we were niche, but any day think, now, any day, yeah. any day. Um, cool. What uh, what about the future of D three Glory Days? What what do you guys what holds what does the future hold? I think the I think the future is kind of already underway for D three Glory Days, and and Stu deserves most of the credit for this, but we've really expanded beyond the podcast to being kind of like a one-stop shop for all things D3 running and like running and track and field and cross country and everything. So we have a website that hosts articles. Um, you know, we bring photographers out to national meets. Stu and I broadcast the NCAA championship meets um, cross country, outdoor and indoor track. Um, I mean, we've got a Strava group. And so we're kind of trying to like corner the entire market on division three running and track news. Um, our Twitter is extremely active about bringing results and like Stu, Stu did the rankings for cross country. Um, so I, yeah, I think D3 Glory has evolved beyond a podcast to just being kind of a multimedia <laughs> empire of division three <laughs> running and track. And, and I think we still have a, you know, a lot we can do with that, but it's definitely started. Stu can, Stu can tell you more about it. Yeah. It's funny. Cause I was back at DePaul and they're like, how did this even happen? And I was like, I don't really know. And then like, where are you going to take it? And like, I don't really know. And that's kind of like how it's been. Like, I wish we were like, I wish we could, we had this like really cool, like founding story of like, we wanted to do this and then we wanted to do this and then we wanted to do this. But like everything that Noah said about present day was honestly, cause I was bored at work one day and 2021 D3 nationals was back on. And at that point we like, we were kind of covering current day 
but also still doing alumni stuff. And I was like, I guess I'll just start like tweeting about like what's happening. And it got a really good reception, like bunch of retweets, bunch of new followers. And I was like, Oh, you know, the dopamine kicks. And it's like, I need more of this. And it's like, we need more. And like, I feel like that, that weekend we got like 400 or 500 followers just by like tweeting out results and who made the finals. And I was like, huh, this is interesting. And so then that's when we we made the website, the newer website, because I wanted to host articles and the WordPress like was just too hard to figure out. And so now we're on Squarespace. So yeah, we're honestly like, it's almost as if once an idea hits, we like run with it and, you know, we bash the current broad or the past broadcaster on Twitter. And next thing you know, we're broadcasting. So, uh, you know, stuff like that, where it's just like, it's kind of serendipity in a sense of we, in my mind, I know where I want it to go, but I don't know when that's going to be or how we're going to get there, but I know we'll eventually will get there. And there's always more to do, but then you also have to realize like, we're just doing this honestly for fun and to bring more notoriety to division three. And if we get paid along the way, that's great. And we're going to hope to continue to be paid and find people who like align with the brand that want to sponsor us. And, you know, we credit the NCAA for trusting us to not be total airheads on the air and say <laughs> stupid stuff, but haven't done that yet. And yeah, you know, the future is an interesting question because the there's endless content, you know, like every four years, a new class, a class graduates and like the record books rewritten. And like this year, the record book has been completely rewritten. So I hope to just bring more, you know, more 2D3 running, provide more resources, provide more celebrations to the running, because I think, you know, a kid is turning 146 uh, at D3 and you search Ryan Wilson 800 and like it's our tweets and MIT athletics. Dang. So, you know, our goal is just like bring D3 running to the forefront. Are you guys enjoying it as much more as you were like day one first episode? Yeah, I think so. I think you can tell when we're a little burnt out is when we don't have an episode for like a few weeks or there's aren't an article. Cause it's like, dang, we just like, had, you know, as you know, the track season is long, the cross country season is long. We're putting out an episode a week, one to two articles a week, you know, maybe a little bit more sometimes. So it's fun. We enjoy it, but we definitely like our breaks. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I would say I always enjoy the conversations, even if I don't expect to going into it. You know, sometimes you're just like, wow, I really don't feel like doing this right now. But then 15 minutes into the episode, you know, you're drawn into the conversation. It's really interesting and fulfilling. And I always have like kind of a buzz after we finished recording an episode. I don't know if you feel that, Stu, but I always feel like just a lot of energy after we record. And so that's kind of a cool feeling too. Maybe you can relate. And so yeah, that that's cool. Like Sue said, we burn out every now and then. It just like we usually don't even talk about it. It's like we seem to have a pretty good sense of when because it doesn't always happen at the same time. Like one of us will get burned out, and it's just like, well, they just need some space, and then we'll get this back on the rails. And so, yeah, and we've just had cool opportunities like going to these meets now to broadcast has been really fun. And so it's and to see you know writers come on board and do a great job and photographers come on board and do a great job like 
I think it's really motivating to see that this has become like a real thing and that keeps it fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was I was looking at your guys' website, like in prepping for this conversation. I was like really impressed. I thought I thought it was just a podcast. So, like I went to the website, I thought it was just gonna be like a I don't know, link to the podcast, but it's definitely an empire, as you say. Um, but I Getting definitely there. feel that. Like I I was thinking about it earlier today and it feels a lot like running. Like there's a lot of times where going into the conversation, like I don't I don't really wanna do it. I get into it as guys it's like highs and lows within it. And then afterwards I'm like, dang, I'm really glad I did that. There really is like, I'm like fired up after it's over. Yeah. Pretty cool. Um, Well, to wrap up uh, Noah, I kind of want to get into your post college life. Kind of froze out there when we started talking about it, but uh, what, uh, what was the transition like from college? How'd you find sponsors get into professional running? Yeah, that's a that's kind of a that's a big question um, because it didn't happen right away. Um, are you guys still there? You just both froze to me. You froze for a second. But okay, okay, you're still there. It's for some reason my computer just wants to die whenever I talk about like my professional <laughs> career. Um, so I graduated in 2013 and I had had a good college career, but on paper there was nothing to indicate that I was a professional level of talent. Um, and I was under no delusion that, (laughs) that, that I would, that I could be a professional runner. And so really for the next, you know, two years, 2014 and 2015, I was living in Indianapolis and, and, and running and doing some local races, but I was, you know, first I was a gardener and then I started managing a running store. Like I was very much looking to start like my what I thought was my real life like find a career and become an adult and get on with things but did you, you know, did you work at a runner's forum yes I okay. in Fishers yeah I worked at that location in high school oh really yeah small because cool. I went to Fishers so yeah um I managed that store for like a year plus something like that okay cool. um yeah, so that uh, which was fine, um, but I found in those couple of years that I was never really fulfilled by like anything I was doing. I felt like very stagnant and like I was just kind of going through the motions of my life, I guess. And I ended up taking this long backpacking trip out to California. I hiked the John Muir Trail with a couple of friends, and I think coming back from that, my eyes were kind of open to the that you can like take risks with your life and you can like pursue other opportunities. And what I thought was success may not actually be the real definition of success. Um, And so I started thinking really hard about what was unique about me and what I, what, what I could pursue. And I just kind of kept coming back to like running. Like, I think I had a lot of untapped potential still, you know, I'd been successful in college, but I'd never really gone all in. And so I was like, you know what? I think I could really pursue running, find out where like my physical limit really is. Once I decided to do that, it started off, you know, the process of searching for where I was going to go. I like running in Indianapolis, but it's not really the place if you want to pursue running at a professional level, at least it wasn't for me. And so I started sending emails all over the country to different groups, but the reality was I just did not have the marks on paper to to get anyone's attention. And 
So nobody responded to any of my outreach with one exception. And that was Richard Hansen with a group called the Roots Running Project, which was brand new. He just tweeted out like an athlete application and I filled it out at the time I had run 68 minutes for a half marathon, which is fine, but it's not elite. Um, but he just basically said, yeah, I'll, I'll, um, I'll, if you come out here, I'll coach you. And so three months later, I, you know, packed everything into my Kia Rio and I found, a I found a room on Craigslist and I drove out here to like, see what I could do with running and, um, you know, sponsors didn't come right away. Money didn't come right away. Like I was really working two jobs and prioritizing running and just figuring out what it meant to be a professional. And uh, yeah, professional running came a couple of years after that. Yeah. So when you were, I guess when you're in your car driving out to Colorado, is that where you're at? Yeah, I'm um, in Boulder. What were you, so you'd run 68, which is obviously really good, but like you said, not exactly elite. Were you thinking like, what have I done? Can I really do this? Or were you excited? Did you know you that you could reach your an elite level of running? Like, where was your mind at? I was excited for sure. Um, you know, I I still wouldn't like. I I remember writing in my email to Richie, which I still have. Like, I remember looking back. I remember writing like, I'll I know I'll never be like a professional runner, but I think I can get a lot better you know, that, that was my headspace. I was very realistic. Like I, I really did not believe that I had what it took to be like a sponsored athlete competing on a national stage, but I knew that I could get a lot better. And so my kind of short-term goal was to try to run under 65 minutes for the half marathon, um, which was, was achievable right before I moved in November, I ran monumental and I ran 66 minutes. And so yeah, I was like, okay, maybe another minute can come off. And, and I did that really quickly. I mean, I was, I was lucky that I joined the roots running project and the results came immediately. Like my, my first half marathon for roots, I ran 64, 19 or something made the trials. And it just seemed like every race I did, I was chunk, I was just chopping big chunks of time off. And so my mindset had to constantly be be shifting and I had to constantly be like reevaluating what was possible. Yeah. What were some of the keys to your rapid improvement? Well, I structured my entire life around running in a way that I hadn't before. Like I was working, but I was working just enough to eat and pay rent um, and no more. Like, so, cause I wanted to prioritize my time at practice. I wanted to be able to rest appropriately I, I wasn't prioritizing like a social life the way that I had before. Like I was making friends, but I wasn't, you know, that wasn't my number one goal. Like I wasn't interested in pursuing a career. I wasn't interested in getting a new car. I wasn't interested in any of that stuff. I just wanted to run fast. And I was also training in a professional system, you know, for the first time, like with a coach who really, I've had good coaches in the past, but he was really dialed into like what a professional training system required. Mm. So I was doing more mileage, more intensity. I was living at altitude. I was taking care of myself. I mean, everything changed. I was doing everything differently. And I was lucky that the potential that I believed I had was, was actually there. And I was finally uncovering it. Yeah. What were some of the, 
I guess the key moments along the way, some key races or practices or things like that? You know, I was redefining my limits in, in every practice I was doing. I was doing tempo runs and, you know, times that would have been good race times for me, you know, like a year prior, but running that first half marathon a few months after I moved here um, where I ran 64 minutes, like I'll always remember that because it was just magic. And, and I just, from the beginning to the end, just felt like I was able to push and just like, I was constantly surprising myself with the splits that I saw. And I was actually running, I actually ran that race in my high school singlet. Oh, cool. And there's a picture of me crossing the line and I'm just kind of like, arms up just like head back and just kind of letting out a yell mm -hmm. and I have a picture of the sectional meet my senior year where I'm doing the same reaction across the line because oh, I just cool. I just broke 17 for the first time and uh made it to regionals and so I have those pictures in my bedroom at my mom's house next to each other yeah. um same singlet exact same reaction um, so I'll always remember, remember that that was really special. Um, and then, you know, the next big moment for me was, uh, I ran 28, 20 for 10 K on the track. And just, that was what really like propelled my imagination to believe that I could, I could actually be pretty good. Yeah. So do you, do you feel like you still have that same passion now? Obviously you're battling a little bit of injury, but where'd you head out? Yeah. At? that it's ebbed and flowed over the years because at the beginning I was really desperate to prove to myself, first of all, that I had what it took. And then once I realized that I did have it within me, I was desperate to prove to other people that I could do it. I was really motivated to run well enough to secure a sponsorship, which I originally did signing with Saucony in 2017. Um, and so I was really motivated to like, like I had something to prove, you know, over the last few years, I've achieved more than I ever thought I would have. And so I don't really have that same drive to prove to people that I belong because I think I've done that. Mm. My drive over the last few years, have it's been about being a good professional. You know, I still have a professional running contract with Solomon. And so it's about showing up and doing my work and you know, still pursuing that outlier of performance, but also like on a day to day, just like being a really good teammate, being a mentor for younger runners around me. And so I don't really have that chip on my shoulder that I used to, but I'm motivated in other ways. Yeah, definitely. Um, what about the Olympic trials? How, uh, how are those experiences for you? Uh, yeah, well, they've always been horrible <laughs> to, to be like in the moment, they've always been horrible. And so my first, my first Olympic trials was in the marathon in LA in 2016. Stu was out there. Actually, it was, it was hotter than hell. I'd never run a marathon before I qualified three weeks before the race. And so my training block was extremely abbreviated and, uh, it was so cool to be there but I ended up dropping out because I just was not ready. And that was like kind of in the moment was very devastating to me, but in hindsight, really cool experience. A lot of fun. It was cool to see Stu there. Yeah. Um, no, we just go ahead. kept getting slower and slower as the last one. And then all of a sudden, like I didn't see him again. I was like, Oh no, I wonder what happened. And then like, 
<laughs> but it was also hilarious to see Noah because like I know Noah from college. And this was two years removed from college, at least from my college time. It was 2016. Yeah. And, you know, we don't really care for Galen Rupp, but it's like hilarious to see Noah in his like long hair. And like there's Galen Rupp like in his ice suit, like getting his injections ready to go for the race. <laughs> Noah's just like bouncing around before the race. That's awesome. Yes. So that experience was awesome. It definitely like opened my mind to like, you know, what these guys were doing and like how I could be like them. And then I qualified for the track trials, which in my mind was a much bigger deal because the fields are so limited, you know, only 24 guys made the 10 K, which is the event that I qualified in. And I was standing on the track Hayward field, you know, just the, the epicenter of the U S running world, um, everything I'd ever dreamed of, you know, like I never, that's one moment that I never would have imagined that I'd be running the Olympic trials on the track. Well, and, we, uh, and we had plans to go watch yeah, together, yeah. which is hilarious. And, we, and had then, we had tickets. We had yeah, tickets. We had tickets. Wow. And, and we decided like my dad and I ended up going and we we're like, this is before Noah qualified. And I was like, well, let's just go like this weekend instead. Like it'll be more finals, blah, blah. blah. And then of course we like sold those tickets and then Noah freaking makes it. Yeah. And so I gave my tickets to my parents. Um, and you know, but the, like the race went horribly. Like I finished dead last. I I was lapped twice. Like, again, it was this moment of like, wow, so cool to be here. But like, I just like embarrassed myself on national television, like basically. Um, but that's just me being hard on myself. That's a competitor, you know, coming up short of his expectations, but you know, what I got out of that race totally changed my career because I kind of became like a viral sensation after that. Like I, it, just because of the way that I, my appearance, basically I had long hair backwards hat. Like I just looked different than the other guys on the start line. And a lot of attention came my way because of that, that I'd never experienced before, which was honestly kind of hard to deal with because I wasn't getting attention because I'd had a great race. It was because mm -hmm. I looked like a dropout stoner and <laughs> which was fine. Like it's just the way that I looked, but it, that kind of changed everything for me. Yeah. Have you always been one to, I guess, kind of express yourself through your appearance? I guess I never really viewed it as expressing myself. Mm -hmm. Um, I wasn't just like, I'm going to grow my hair long because I think that's cool. It just, yeah. like, it just kind of happened, I guess. And I never, I never like sought to create that person. It just kind of naturally who I was. And I think that's why I was so caught off guard that people like mm. seem to <laughs> think it was so amazing, you know, cause it was just <laughs> like, just like really, you know, I wasn't doing anything different for anybody else, but yeah, no, I'm really grateful for that. Like, you know, the performances I had kind of built a platform, but like that exposure allowed me to reach a lot more people and just, you know, gave me a lot of opportunities that I wouldn't have had otherwise. Yeah. Kind of going back a little bit to like your motivation heading out to Colorado, um, like that kind of hunger and drive, do you think it can be taught or was it completely coming from within you? If that makes sense. No, it makes sense. I, I don't think it's something that can be taught. I think it's something it can, that coaches and mentors can, can enable. And I think you should always with athletes, like 
you know, try to inspire a sense of self-belief and that they, they can do anything, you know, but it's not a lifestyle for everybody, you know, like I made a lot of sacrifices moving out here. I moved away from my family and my friends. And, you know, I was like very broke for a couple of years before I started making money. Like, I, I feel like I really had to make a lot of sacrifices to ultimately find success. And for other people, just the path is to get a job out of college and take a different path. And that's fine, you know, but for me, running is something I just had to explore. And, you know, my story leading up to that, like a lot of people influenced that and inspired self-belief. But, you know, if you don't want to do it, like you're not going to be successful. And I don't think you can make somebody want it. Yeah, no, that's true. Um, kind of a similar question that I asked Stu, but like now reaching the heights of, of running, most people I assume like view you as a runner. Do you, do you think about that? Like, do you, do you yourself identify as like just a runner? Do you wish people saw you as more than a runner? Like, do you think about those, those kind of things? I think that's been a cool part of my career is that I, I think the people who have found resonance in my running or have supported me as an athlete, they've done so because they see me as more than just a runner. And so I've always felt very comfortable expressing who I am outside of the fact that I'm a competitive distance runner and I've always felt supported in other things that I do um, as a person. And so, yeah, running is the you know, priority one in terms of like my activities. And it's the reason I have the following that I have and the people who support me. But I've never felt like pigeonholed. I've never felt like I can't express other parts of my personality because I am a runner. Yeah, that's huge. Uh, What does the future hold for you? I guess after recovering? Yeah, so um, that's a good question. (laughs) um yeah so i mean like basically my last few years i ran 209 in the marathon in 2020 the end of 2020 and i haven't finished a marathon since then um i've been battling injuries which culminated in an achilles surgery in january of this year and so i feel like in the last couple years well i've had a couple good races i've been like really struggling to get back to that that peak performance and just constantly fighting my body and trying to run through pain and deal with pain and so now my primary objective is to get back to running pain free and mm-hmm. i'm hopeful that this surgery is the ticket the prognosis is good and i'm coming along with my recovery very well and so i number 1 want to just get back to the point where i'm enjoying my running and my training every day most days. (laughs) And the secondary goal is to, you know, perform well, like, you know, no runner is ever going to tell you they hit their, like they hit their peak. Right. But like I ran 209.09, like 10 seconds off that I'm a 208 guy. Like, I think that's possible on the right day. Like, I think I've shown that I'm as good as any marathoner in this country, you know, when I'm really have a solid block under me and I'm motivated and I'm healthy. And so I just want to take another, I just want the chance to express that again. Yeah. Has this time recovering been kind of a good reset? Like just thinking about what could, could be in the future. 
Yeah, because I've been running with pain for so long, like years, honestly, like even when I ran that 209 marathon, I did the training through a lot of pain. And it really wore me down to the point where running was just the thing I did for a paycheck. Like I was running because I was a professional runner and, Mm. and I was still working out and running well, but like every step was just painful and it just wears you down mentally to the point where it's not fun anymore. And I was dreading it. And so this time away from running has been really nice because not only do I get to like recover from that trauma (laughs) of being in pain all the time, but I can finally allow myself to be hopeful because I've taken the, the steps to address what was wrong. And so for the first time in a long time, I'm optimistic about my future in running both as like a highly competitive athlete, but also just like on a project basis, like being able to do cool things and running in the future, like is motivating to me and just living a life of running even beyond my professional career, which will go for a few more years. But like, yeah, I just, for the first time I'm like hopeful. Hey, that yeah. fired me up. That's awesome. That's yeah. exciting. Uh, well, cool. We're like, getting pretty close to two hours here um before we wrap up is there anything else that maybe we missed in your guys's journeys and running that you guys really wanted to talk about or uh, anything you wanted to say to our audience before we wrap up well i think that i think that it's important to like to, to understand that like your identity as a runner, you're like building a community and running and you kind of never know where that's going to take you and what opportunities may present. And it doesn't matter like how fast you are or how competitive you are. It's just about like being a good teammate, showing up, being committed to what you do and do it the best you can. And you're going to, you're going to meet people through that process that are going to change your life. You're going to have opportunities through that process that are going to change your life. Like Stu and I are friends because we both started running when we were young. We both made that commitment to run in college and we both still like running now. Like that's, that's the whole basis of Stu's and I, Stu and I's relationship. And in this like professional endeavor we have with the podcast now. And so it's about just like, you know, realizing that all this stuff is possible if you really commit to like a life and running. And I think that's hard to wrap your head around when you're young, but that's my advice, I guess. It's cool to go all in on running, you know, even when you don't think it may be, I think uh, it is like, you won't have regrets if you go all in. That's a great point. Cause I, I think like as a society, we have like a tendency when somebody goes all in on something, we're just like, okay, nerd or okay. Loser. Like, (laughs) that that sucks that you're so like fixated on one thing but like it's cool to see how good you can get at something yeah there's so much beauty in how like relative it is too like my girlfriend's just getting into running and she's like really disappointed in herself because she's going like 10 minute pace but like a couple weeks ago she was going like 11 minute pace so there's just yeah i don't know it's so cool to see that i don't know the amount of work you put in you really do get it out and I haven't found anything else in my life that is that directly correlated to like to work input to like output as running like in your professional life. It's really hard to quantify how hard you're working and it's really hard to quantify what you're getting out of it. But in running, it's just like, well, I started running 80 miles a week and I ran consistently and I was diligent and it was rewarded with this number at this race. 
it's very black and white. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Cool. Well, I appreciate you guys taking the time to do this. This is a lot of fun. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Thank you. All right, All right everybody. Until next time, we'll see you. Thank you.